Hi, welcome to the analysis.news. I'm Paul Jay. In a few seconds, I'll be joined by Larry Wilkerson. We're going to talk about November 11th, Veterans Day in the United States, Remembrance Day in Canada, which is supposed to honor soldiers who have sacrificed their lives. Uh, but just how much is that about honor and how much is it about promoting militarism and what actually is done for veterans in the United States and Canada, which I don't think amounts to much. Uh, back in just a few seconds, please don't forget the donate button. I come over to the website if you're on YouTube or if you're listening on one of the different podcast platforms, come to uh, the website where you could donate and please get up on the uh, email list. Be back in just a few seconds. So as I said, November 11th in the United States is Veterans Day in Canada. It's Remembrance Day, uh, which mostly comes out of the, in Canada at least, from the First World War. I think the name Veterans Day uh, came during or after the Korean War, uh, but amounts to the same thing. Uh, it's a day which is supposed to be where we remember the sacrifices soldiers uh, made uh, in order to maintain our quote-unquote way of life and quote-unquote democracy. And no doubt, many soldiers made enormous sacrifices and did give their lives and were wounded and destroyed themselves for, in, in many ways, uh, believing they were fighting for what was just, believing they were fighting uh, for the good of their families, their countries and such. Um, I think in most cases that wasn't the case. I think a lot of soldiers died in unjust wars. Uh, but what we do on November 11th is not talk about how to avoid unjust wars, how to avoid new military confrontations. Uh, what's done in both countries is to create this mythology uh, and a kind of, oh, I would call, false patriotism. Uh, and, and we're in a very dangerous world now where we can't afford such culture. Um, now joining me to talk about this is a man who spent much of his life in the military, uh, uh, Colonel Larry Wilkerson. Thanks for joining us, Larry. Thanks for having me, Paul, especially on Veterans Day. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on Veterans Day and, as I say, in Canada, Remembrance Day? I think in the United States it's been transfigured majorly from what purpose most Americans would attribute to it and your opening comments alluded to some of that but the major thing that troubles me about the transmogrification of it if you will is that it no longer represents what we think as Americans it should represent which is what you detail there um, defense of the homeland patriotism a certain degree of positive nationalism if you will if nationalism can have a degree of positivism, um, and the kind of thing that we celebrate rather than denigrate. Today, Veterans Day marks the fear, the apathy, the guilt Americans feel about their veterans because they know intuitively, if not intellectually, and I think increasingly both, that they've sent them to wars for the past 20 plus years that were absolutely not for anything but the national security state, corporate uh, benefactors like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Boeing, Grumman, and other defense contractors, merchants of death, 
And for the billionaires in the world who make so much money off of wars like they are making, for example, off the war in Ukraine right now. That's why we fight and that's why we create veterans. And let me just say to close uh, my opening comment, that's why I feel an enormous amount of guilt, no matter how small my contribution might have been, it nonetheless was palpable to putting across the case for war with Iraq in 2003, a preposterous war, a war that killed British citizens, American citizens, other allies, and literally hundreds of thousands of Iraqis and others in the region, and put millions of them into a diaspora or made them refugees within in their own countries and destabilized the Levant, the Middle East, for years. Probably we won't see it stabilized again in our lifetimes. And it all started with 2003 and our invasion of Iraq. And it was for nothing, nothing at all positive, unless you count making Halliburton $44 billion a positive. That's what bothers me. And the other thing is we've gone from a Veterans Department that the DOD wanted to move out of its budget profile because it was beginning to cost so much at 35 and $40 billion a year to a Veterans Administration now that costs $245 plus billion a year. And that's all because of these stupid wars we've had over the last 20 plus years. And they still don't service our veterans as adequately, comprehensively, and positively as they should. Well, the the suicide rates amongst former mili- retired military veterans, uh, PTSD, uh, homelessness. I mean, it's it's the the levels are stratospheric. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I think uh, veterans are, are one of the most significant portions of homeless people. Yes. Uh, the 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 lack of care, and then there's these. You know, Veterans Day, <laughs> when, when in the reality is veterans are treated like shit. It's, as I said, it's out of fear, guilt, apprehension. Um, veterans will tell you more than not. They will tell you if you thank them for their service and they have a moment to comment, don't thank me for my service. I don't want to be thanked for my service. I'm really conflicted over my service. Um where did you serve, by the way? And then the person at the airport or the ball game or whatever will turn and walk away or look sheepishly at them and say, well, I, I didn't serve. Uh, that's the majority of Americans. Less than less than 1% of Americans have served in these wars over this last 20 years. Um, that's boys and girls. And it's tragic that that's the circumstance, but when you have that kind of circumstance, no war tax, no threat to the average family that their son or daughter will be drafted, you're going to have more war because it's so much easier to do. And there's so much less political pushback because so few people are involved. Hmm. Uh, I have uh, people that watch the analysis know I've mentioned this a couple of times. I have 10-year-old twins, and in their school, they've been reciting this poem, which was taught to me, you know, decades ago, uh, it's, it's called In Flanders Fields, the Poppies Grow. And uh, this is to commemorate a, a battle that took place during the First World War in Flanders Fields. 
uh, where thousands of Canadian soldiers were sent to their deaths for absolutely no reason. And, and this is now venerated year after year after year in schools. And it's, it's, it's on the pr surface supposed to be a poem where we have sorrow about these young men that were slaughtered. But the actual heart of that poem comes in later in the second or third stanza, which essentially says, if you don't pick up our torch, you will be betraying those of us who died. And in fact, that poem, which is taught in schools up to this day, was a recruiting mechanism to get more soldiers to go fight in the First World War and get slaughtered in their tens and tens of thousands for a war that did nothing but make arms manufacturers rich and help create the conditions for the rise of fascism in Germany. Uh, it, it, and, and we don't talk about any of this. There's this sort of vague nationalism about you know, fighting and serving and preparing kids again, to go off to war. I, I had a really interesting interview a few years ago with General uh, Lewis McKenzie, and uh, it was a Canadian general, and he, he said something which was, I don't know, he was far more frank than I've ever heard a military guy, because he went on to a bit of political career, but he, he said to me, uh, you know, we need soldiers who don't know history. If they really knew history, why on earth would they go off and do what we tell them to and go die in these wars? So we need them to be uneducated about these things. And boy, th things haven't changed. Yeah, poems like Flanders Fields and some of Kipling's, Rudyard Kipling's writings and others of that ilk are basically hymns written by people who are defending the right, and many of these poets know this, they're defending the right of very rich men, and increasingly today women, who send young boys and girls to die for state purposes so they don't have to go themselves, or so they can make more money. That's really what it's all about. Uh, the Greeks said old men send young, young boys to die, and then in parentheses sort of, uh, because the state needs preserving, uh, well, today it's not even the preservation of the state. Tell me how our invasion of Iraq had anything to do with preserving America. I remember the blatant lie that Tony Blair told, Prime Minister Tony Blair. I almost fell off my chair in the State Department Chief of Staff's office, literally almost fell off my chair when I heard it on the TV because Powell had just told me, watch it, Prime Minister Blair is going to make, he's going to make a speech. And so we had the CNN on, I think it was, and we were looking up there, and all of a sudden he said, well, in 45 minutes, Saddam Hussein could blanket London with poisonous gases. Where did he get that, Powell said. <laughs> and I said, probably the same place he got this dossier he just sent over, us, over to us, which we found out later had been written by a grad student or something like that. It told about all the things that Saddam Hussein had from the first war and what he could do with them and all this. It was just a hodgepodge of someone who'd gone through like a plagiaristic student, you know, picking things out of other people's articles and putting it together. And this was Britain's public policy campaign to support its entry into the war in Iraq. And here's Blair giving the ultimate statement and saying that in 45 minutes the weapons could actually hit London. We knew that was preposterous. 
I happened to have, I think it was Tom Finger was in my office, who was the deputy INR guy, our intel guy. Tom was a very good in, intel specialist. And there's no foundation to that whatsoever. No foundation whatsoever. And the phones rang off the hook as the White House asked us where he got the information, and we asked the White House where he got the information. But we were telling similar lies. Indeed, we would go to the United Nations and put a whole pack of lies out. A whole pack of lies. I wish I'd known there were lies at the time. Had I known there were lies, maybe I wouldn't have helped put them out. Um, Why were they lies, and why didn't I know it? I've asked myself that question a hundred times, but that brings me to my point. My great angst on Veterans Days is all the boys I boys and girls, mostly boys at that time, that I helped send into harm's way, and some of them didn't come back. Or some of them came back like the young man on the uh, first day I went over to Walter Reed to the Wounded Warrior Project, the National Military Medical Center now, Walter Reed. And I met him. He was the Air Force's only triple amputee. Triple amputee. He's sitting across the table from me as best he could, um, he's getting a prosthetic arm. He's getting a prosthetic right leg, and they're working on his left leg. They've built him a van he can drive. His wife was a third-grade school teacher in Tampa, Florida, and she came up and stayed with him for 19 months through something like 18 surgeries. And I, I'm looking at him, and I'm saying to myself, my God, he's a triple amputee, and he's sitting here across drinking a cup of coffee, and I had something to do with putting him there. And the Marine sitting next to him had only one leg. Uh, his right leg was severed at the knee. And he felt like he was comfortably okay because Joe was sitting there with a missing arm and two missing legs. And I'm thinking, this is the detritus. This is the, the, the refuse. This is the aftermath of this war. How horrible this is. And it was, by that time, you know, I had learned quite a bit. It, it was all farce. It was all a farce. Not only were there no WMD, if you go through the streets of Iraq today, especially Al-Ambar province or Baghdad itself, and you ask the average Iraqi merchant, male or female, if they were better off under Saddam Hussein or better off now, they'll tell you without equivocation they were better off under Saddam Hussein. So what did we do all that for? And why did we do it? And when you start answering those questions categorically and with some authenticity to your answers, it, it's revolting. It truly is revolting because we did it for money, basically. We did it for money and we did it for the complex and we did it for people who, you know, like I use Halliburton, Dick Cheney's favorite company. I mean, he was CEO of Halliburton before he became vice president of the United States. $44 billion they made off of Iraq and Afghanistan combined in the years of those wars. That's why we have wars. And we ask ourselves, why do these people come home and commit suicide? Why do they have post-traumatic stress? Well, there are a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons has to be, just has to be, logically speaking, it just has to be that they come home and they understand what they've done. They understand they spent three tours in Iraq shooting at women and children and other soldiers, and they were shooting at them not for freedom and democracy, not even for the defense of their nation, but for Lockheed Martin or for Halliburton or for George W. Bush or for Donald Rumsfeld. I think it's important 
for viewers that don't know that you were not just some bureaucrat in an office sending people to their deaths or to fight. You believed all this yourself and went to fight in Vietnam and put your own life on the line. You could have easily been one of these people because you so believed the mythology. How did you get from that person who volunteers to go to Vietnam and fight to a person who now is, you know, one of the sharpest critics of U.S. foreign policy? It was a long, difficult road, and the distance from Vietnam to just before I became what you might call a, a member of the the top power echelon in Washington, first when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Colin Powell, and then when he was Secretary of State, the distance between Vietnam and there, I learned about Vietnam. So it's not like I went into the Iraq War totally ignorant of what had been done to me in Vietnam. Not only, I not only learned about Vietnam, I taught it at the Naval War College, at the Marine Corps War College. So I'm entering, and this increases my guilt as far as I'm concerned, I'm entering this environment of war with Iraq in 2002 and early 2003 with this sure knowledge of Vietnam being a farce, worse than a farce, not even a tragic farce, a diabolical farce, where so many boys and girls were killed, where 59,000 names are over there on that black marble wall that don't need to be there. And I went into this with that idea, as did Colin Powell. One of the first things he told me, as we knew that we were getting closer and closer to war in January, early January, right after Christmas, 2002-2003. We knew that there were so many similarities between Vietnam and Iraq that we needed to tell the president about them. So he ordered me to get a he ordered me to get a hold of everything I could get on the Vietnam War, from David Halberstam to uh, uh, General Throckmorton to whoever had written something about the Vietnam War, telling LBJ, don't do this, don't do this, or had written afterwards about, you shouldn't have done this, LBJ. <laughs> you know, all the material. And then he said something that was kind of with a smile. He won't read any of it, so we'll just do a memo. We'll do a one or two page memo summarizing all of it, because we can get him to read that. He being George W. Bush, President of the United States. So we did all that. And we shipped it over to the executive secretary, to Condi Rice, the national security advisor. And we said, well, you, you got to tell the president about this. This is looking a lot like Vietnam. Did he read it? Did he do anything about it? Did he have any conversation with anybody about it? I mean, Powell told me he didn't even think he read it. Um, didn't have any impact at all. So then I waltz over to the CIA to listen to George Tenet and John McLaughlin tell me all about how Saddam Hussein does have weapons of mass destruction, et cetera, et cetera. But everything pointed towards possession of WMD that we were shown. And if he was working on an active nuclear program, as General Powell said repeatedly, that was the only one that really frightened him, then we needed to do something. Did we need to invade? Did we need to do that? Maybe not. Today I look back on it and I, I wish that I had done what I anticipated doing when I was asked to put together the UN presentation. That was quit, retire, get out, leave resign, go, tell the president I was leaving. Um, but I didn't. And so that's the reason I 
come full circle. That's the reason I say I share some of the blame for those boys and girls who were killed in Iraq. In a recent interview I did with Dan Ellsberg, who released the Pentagon Papers, but before that worked for Rand Corporation, were developing American nuclear war plans. He said both for his participation in the nuclear war planning and his role in Vietnam prior to the Pentagon Papers release, if, if he was accused of war crimes, he said he wouldn't plead not guilty. Nor, nor would I. I once said publicly, if Dick Cheney will go before the bar, I'll go with him. Well, you've certainly made amends. Dick Cheney is, uh, should have been and still should be along with Bush, uh, charged with war crimes for the Iraq War. Most significant comment I ever made to Colin Powell was when he was going on the show for Memorial Day, you know, the concert on the Capitol lawn. And I said, you know, sir, the best thing you can say, the best thing you can stand up there and say is stop these stupid wars and quit making veterans. Of course, he wasn't going to say that. (laughs) But that's a good ending. All right, that's good. Thanks very much, Larry. Thank you. Take care. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news.